All right, so here's what happened, okay? Let me just let me show you guys what happened. Let me just tell you the full story. Uh, like three weeks ago, okay, on a Tuesday, I got sick. I had like a cold or something. Boomy and I both got sick. That night, I go to sleep. I have like, I have... I, I had bumsar. I don't know. I don't know what that is in English. But you know, like my, I just my whole body was like shutting down. Basically, I was. I got real. You know, I had the chills. Um, I just felt really weak. You know, I was in bed and I was just like my whole body got tensed up. That's this the whole night. That's what happened. The next day, I wake up and like my back is messed up. Okay, for, it feels weird. It doesn't feel correct. And then the next few days, watching the kids. You know, I'm picking up Josiah. A lot, and you guys, you know, he's, he's, he's not, he's not small. He's, you know, he's, I'm picking him up. You know, Benji, who's older than him, I love holding Benji. He's like, I'm like, yeah, let's go. And then I pick up my own kid. I'm like, oh, this guy's heavy, you know? And so I'm doing that over and over again. And I feel something weird in my back. And then that Saturday, basically, you know, Cooper's wedding, it was that day. And I'm texting them like, hey, I don't think I can make it, you know, because I can't move right now. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm so messed up. And it just got worse and worse. It got to a point that night where I was trying to get up off the floor. I was on the floor, and, like, Boomy gave me this massage, which was really bad. It was, it was like, it was a good massage, but it was bad for me because I don't know what happened. But everything felt like it got, you know, inflamed, right? It felt, it literally felt, this is how it felt. It felt like Ant-Man. Like went into my back with a with a lightsaber, and he was just like running around, stabbing me up and down. Like literally, that's how it felt. It was it was at least three times as painful as when I you know tore my ACL. Like that's how it felt on my back, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't. So this is how I literally was. I was. This is literally how I was. I was like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Like, that's really what I was saying. I was like, Jesus, Jesus, please make it stop. And there was a moment when it was happening where I was, I literally thought this. It was only for a moment, but I literally thought, God, just kill me. Like, I can't, I don't want to, I'm never, this is not going to go away. And I would just rather die. You know, and then my my reason returned to me, and I thought, okay, that's being a little overdramatic. And so that's that's how I felt, and eventually we got it all squared away. You know, I went to the hospital, and I, I, I had some leftover Motrin from an old, you know, some painkillers from like a dental something, and I just took a bunch of that, and I got to the hospital, and then they're like, oh, yeah, you know, you're having this, you're having these problems. They gave me some medicine. I, I can go into like PT now. And so, you know, I feel relatively, I feel a lot better. Um, but the thing is, I tell people, I've told some of you guys this, and the question that always comes back is, but like, what happened though? You know, it's like, but then like, but how did you hurt your face? You know, and I'm trying to explain, nothing happened. <laughs> like, how did you... T- Nothing. I didn't get, like, I wish the story were different. I wish what actually happened was, like, some, you know, burly man was insulting my wife, and I, you know, I defended her honor and got punched in the back, and that's what happened. But that's not what happened, right? Nor did I get into a car accident, nor did I fall down or anything, nor was I playing sports. I was literally doing nothing. I, I maybe was, was shivering too much or something, and that's how I hurt my back. And... 
you know, that's it. It's like the, the reality is I'm, um, I don't know, I'm a little overweight and out of shape and I'm old and that's what happened. I got, I got hurt. And it's almost like that is an unacceptable answer to people because we don't like that idea. I don't like that idea. I was sitting at home for two weeks. I call, I had to call Randy at the 11th hour. Literally, it's 11 p.m. and I'm supposed to preach the next day and he's getting ready to probably go to sleep. And I'm like, hey, Randy, I can't, I can't make it tomorrow. And I, literally how I said it was this. Is there any, I can't, like, I can't, I can't go to church tomorrow. Like that's how I was talking because I was in so much pain. And he had to, you know, he was supposed to do praise and the drum had to do praise and, you know, people are shifting around. And, like, I don't want to do that because I would rather be strong enough to just come to just suck it up and just say, oh, like, I'll just take care of it. This sermon, by the way, I was supposed to preach that day. So I didn't, I didn't, prep, I didn't prep this after this all happened and be like, oh, yeah, God, like, this is what you're teaching me. No, no, no. I was going to preach this message regardless of whether that happened or not. It just happened to be that I, apparently I did not understand weakness enough. And God had to teach me a greater lesson about weakness so that I could talk about this today. Like, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like the reality is I'm weak, but I, that's like unacceptable to me? Maybe it's physically, but maybe not physically. Maybe it's emotionally. Like, I need to be stronger emotionally. I need to be stronger mentally. You know, I need to have more mental toughness. Like I just need to be able to handle the things that are going, that I'm going through and I'm just going to do it. I feel like, you know, we're in a series, we're continuing this series called Dear God, where we're exploring these questions that arise in the faith sometimes. Right? Whether we're a strong believer or, you know, unsure where we stand before God. We have these questions. Some of them are nagging. Some of them are like roadblocks in our lives. And I feel like this is a question that we face often when we go through certain things and maybe we don't respond to it exactly the way that we want to. And we may ask God, why, why though? Like, why am I so weak? So today we're going to be looking at that question together as we go into Scripture. So if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to start all the way back in verse uh, in 11, 16. We're going to go all the way through uh, 12, 10. So it's, it's kind of a big chunk of Scripture, but you know we'll take it piece by piece. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Again, we're going to start here in verse 16, and this is God's word. And it says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this beautiful, with this, excuse me, boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. 
To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. No, let's just pause here for a second. This passage is a little bit confusing if you don't understand the context. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 11, what's happening here is Paul is kind of in a battle with these other guys who are at the church in Corinth, and they are calling themselves kind of, well, Paul calls them facetiously, kind of ironically, he calls them super apostles, right? Because there are these guys who are claiming, oh, we're better than Paul, right? Because Paul, he's like this weak guy, He's like this guy that's not very impressive. He doesn't speak as eloquently as us. And we are these domineering kind of authoritative guys. We come in and we say stuff, right? And we come in and we make stuff happen. And so they were, they were kind of building themselves up to be these guys. And so when he talks here about, oh, I'm sorry, he's kind of like, he's kind of being sarcastic. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not as like good as them, you know? Verse, uh, when he talks in verse 19, he says, you gladly bear with them. He's talking about these guys with fools being wise yourselves for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you. So this is kind of their style, right? They're more domineering. They're more authoritative, uh, devours you, takes advantage of you because they were taking money from them. Whereas Paul, he didn't take any money, right? He said, I'll work on my own for my own money because I want to offer you the gospel free of charge. These other guys, they're taking money. They're kind of abusing them. They have this domineering, this authoritative attitude. And for that reason, they're saying they're strong and you, Paul, you're weak. Right? We don't like your style. You're kind of like, you're too meek, humble guy. Like, that's, that's not, look at these guys. These guys are super apostles. So he says, all right, they want to boast like that? Then I'll boast like that. He says, I'm speaking as a fool. So he makes it clear. He does, he's not really boasting. It's kind of like boasting in quotes, right? He's like, oh, they want to boast? Then I'll boast. Right? So verse 22, he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. So he's like, hey, you want to go religious pedigree? You want to talk about where you come from? Spiritual authority? He's like, I got that. They want to say they got that? He's like, I got that. Verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. He says, oh, they serve Jesus? I, I'm better. I'm a better servant than them. And he says, I'm talking like a madman. So it makes it clear. He's saying, I'm talking like them. Right? I'm not saying I'm actually better than them. I'm saying according to what they say, if they want to go like point for point, resume for resume, then I'm better than them. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 40 lashes was the, you know, this is being whipped 40 times. And 40 was the maximum punishment allowed. So what they would do is they would do, you know, one less. Right? But this is basically kind of like the worst thing you could get according to Jewish law. Three times I was beaten with rods. This is a typical Roman punishment. So he was beaten by Jews, beaten by Romans. Once I was stoned. There's a story, you know, in Acts about when Paul is stoned and he survives. And sometimes when we think of stoning, like I always think of like throwing rocks on the playground. You know, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, we're like stoning each other, you know, whatever, right? But stoning was when you would stand over a person on an elevated position, pick up a rock that you have to carry with two hands over your head, up over your head, and then chuck it at them. And not, not like one guy. It's like that's what people would do. They would line up, and they would, want, they would throw stones at him, and they 
did it so much that they thought he was dead. He was under a pile of rocks, but somehow he survived. And then he went back into the city to preach. Um, Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches, who is weak, and I am not weak. Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. So these other guys, they're saying they're, they're bold and talented and respected and healthy and all that stuff. And Paul, he is humble and timid and physically persecuted and self-supporting and unskilled and ailing. And he says, you know what? If you want to talk like that, because this part right here where he's talking about the sufferings he's been through, it is actually to his credit. It's not sarcastic, and it's not like he's saying anything, you know, weird. He's actually saying, have you suffered for the gospel as much as I have? I'm saying, I've, I've, been, I've been whipped. I've been beaten with rods. I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I'm in danger from everyone. My own people, not my people, Christians, not Christians, it doesn't matter. Everybody, right? Even false brothers, even people inside the church who are faking it. He says, I have anxiety about everything. Now, isn't Paul just playing their game isn't he just justifying himself saying oh you think you've suffered i've suffered more now he's actually pointing that out he's saying i have suffered more than you but the reason he's not justifying himself is because he's not saying that makes me better than you he he's saying according to what you say according to your standards and your law and your rules that you've set up i actually am better than you you want to go point for point on where you come from, your background? I'm, I'm good there. You want to go point for point on how much you've suffered for the kingdom? I got you beat there. He's saying, according to your standards, according to what you say, I should be better than you. But when he's saying, he's not calling this actual boasting. He's, saying, he's not saying I'm actually better than you. He's saying that's what you would say. Now he goes on. Oh, I'm missing a slide. If you guys have your Bibles, look at the end of chapter 11. The end of chapter 11, verse 30. It says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Now this time in verse 30 when he says, if I must boast, he doesn't say if I must boast as a madman or if I must boast as a fool. He's saying if I'm really going to boast, if I'm going to legitimately talk about something, 
boast about something? Here's what I'll tell you. A story where I ran away in a basket and they had to lower me down a wall. Because that's actually not an impressive story. Right? Especially for a Jewish man. You know, to stand up before your accusers and to defend yourself, that would be kind of the manly Jewish thing to do. Not to, be, not to hide in a basket and they lower you down. And he's saying, but look, if I'm actually going to talk about something, I'll talk about how I'm really weak. Now he goes on to this story in uh, chapter 12. He goes on and he says, I must go on boasting though there is nothing to be gained by it. So now we see, okay, he's going back to the fake boasting, you know, talking the way they talk. He says, I'll go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. What is that? I have no idea. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on behalf of, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Now, he's actually talking about himself, but he's talking in the third person. It's kind of weird. Um, you know, and there are some reasons why he might be doing that. There are these, there's kind of, there's a convention in Jewish tradition of pseudonymity. That might be what he's doing. It might be because he's a little bit confused about his own experience, like, or he might be talking about it because he saw it, he experienced it in third person, or it might be because he's trying to be humble about it. But regardless, it's, it's really, he's talking about a vision that he had 14 years ago where he went up to the third heaven, which he doesn't even explain, and which we don't really even know exactly what he means, Right? But his whole point in this story is that this story is useless. That's his whole point. He's like, oh, well, if, I wanna, if you guys want to keep boasting, I'll tell you even about this spiritual experience I had where I felt that I had a vision. I don't know if it was, if it was my actual body. I don't know if I was outside of the body. You know, I don't know if I was like astral project. Like, I don't know what it was. But somehow I went up to the third heaven. I saw this thing. And like that what happened 14 years ago, and I never told anybody about it because it wasn't relevant to anybody or anything. It's just, a, it's just my own personal experience. It did nothing. It, it wasn't important to like edify the church. It didn't lead me in some specific way. And so I never told, I never told anybody about it. He's basically saying, what, what is that? What's, what's the use of that? Verse 6, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. So he says, if what I just said, that's real, right? But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So he says, the reason I don't tell that story is because it makes me seem like I'm super spiritual, So he says, there's no benefit to telling the story. There is something negative about telling the story. The negative part is that it just makes me seem like I'm a really spiritual guy. 
Verse 7, so to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's saying what you guys care about. You know, he's talking to the Corinthian church, and he's saying what you guys care about, the reason you think those other guys are so good, because they have what? Because people like them? Because their words are compelling? Because they're very authoritative and domineering because they tell you exactly what to do and they take your money and you think that that makes them better than me. This is what Paul's saying. And he's saying, you don't get it. All that stuff, that resume, the fact that I've had, you know, Paul's saying, do you think the fact that I've suffered a lot makes me better than anyone? Do you think the fact that I've had these visions and dreams and I've been, you know, I've had these really spiritual experiences, do you think that that makes me better than anyone? Do you think I would boast about that? Why am I so weak? Why do I continue to struggle with weakness? I wonder if Paul asked himself that. The answer is right here. Because God's power is made perfect in our weakness, not our strength. In fact, our strength, our strength, my strength on my own gets in the way of God's. It's not in, in our strength, our personal strength that God ministers, it's in our weakness. That is the main point and the only point I have today. God's power is made perfect in our weakness, not our strength. Now, let me tell you why that's important for us to really grasp, to really know, and to really understand. Um, so I told you, right, the past couple of weeks, I haven't been able to do much. I couldn't even, I was trying to work on, you know, I was trying to do some work, like on my computer, but even that, I couldn't do well because the pain was like really bothering me so i'm just like i was reading a little bit you know I'm, I'm, i was praying actually like god please take this away um and i would just like you can't really sleep though either because you know lying down is bad for your back so it gets really stiff so i'd have to just sit up or walk around so i started watching this show it was actually a show i started like a few years ago but i never finished and then I, I was like, oh, I've, I have time. I might as well just finish it. So it's a show called um, Rectify. It's probably not a show that many of you are familiar with. It's, it was on the Sundance channel, which I didn't even know was a channel. <laughs> um, but it's on Netflix. And so the show is about a guy uh, named Daniel Holden who gets – it's a scripted show. It's not like a reality show. But uh, uh, it's a guy who is uh, in, on death row for 19 years. And then he is later – his 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 uh, conviction is like vacated because of new DNA evidence, right? So he gets out of prison. Basically, he's in he's in he's on death row for 19 years, and then he gets out. And it's about him just like adjusting, readjusting to life in the world. And it's a super slow show. Probably most of you will 
hate this show if you ever watched it because it's it's really just about like character interactions it's like half of it is him just like staring at the sun or something because he's like you know like like experiencing freedom and then he has he has like ptsd and he's like dealing with that so one of the most compelling characters in the show not it's 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 about him and then all the people around him so his family people who have like tried to get him out of prison for a long time. And one of, the, one of the most compelling characters to me is his mom, his mom, Janet, who carries like 19 years worth of guilt around. And if you guys know, if any of your moms like carry guilt, you know what it's like, right? And like you feel it in the show. Like everything she says, it's like this passive aggressive jab you know it's like this way to like unle- you know to like unburden herself of some of her guilt by putting guilt on other people you know and it's just like it's just like coming out all the time and it could just be like a look like she'll just give a look and you're like oh man like i feel that like i see it in her right and she is she's like you know her first her first husband passed away so she remarried and her relationship with her husband her new husband it's so interesting because she's like kind of the like kind of like the guilty mess and he's totally the opposite he is the this this takes place in in like a small town in georgia and so it's like this southern this guy's like the southern man you know he he like fixes stuff he like took over the business he provides for the family and he just does things you know and he never complains he never says anything when you're watching the show sometimes you're like this guy is like too good he's like just too nice like everything's a disaster and you're like man just just i mean you can't do that like that you got to say something like or you got to you got to something has to happen here but he's just this rock emotional rock the entire show and then there's this episode like there's they have this conversation it's towards the end of the show right and they have this conversation in the car right actually you guys are already reading it <laughs> i don't want you to so what happens is they're talking about their lives and she says, don't you ever dream? Like, don't you ever think about if you had a different life? Like if you were a pineapple farmer in Hawaii or if you were a writer in Paris, you know, like, and he's like, why are you trying to make me do this? This guy's like ultimate pragmatism, right? He's just practical. He's like, he's in dream. He's like too busy keeping his life together. He's like, I don't, I don't have time to dream. And she's like, you know, it's fun. Just like try it out. And he's like, no, he doesn't want to. He's, he gets angry. He's like, you're trying to trap me. That's what he says. And then, and then they have this conversation. She says, God, you resent me, don't you? And he says, what? She says, you're filled with resentment for me. And I understand why I do. And actually, I don't blame you for that, the resentment. And he says, oh, yeah, it sure seems that way. And she says, I blame you for resenting me in silence, for resenting me and never saying a word about it. And he says, you're right. I do that. And I blame you for never thanking me for it. I almost cried when I watched this because my back was in pain. (laughs) I'm sitting here and I'm watching this. But do you know why? Because this interaction happens all the time, but we don't speak these words. See, Janet, 
wants more than anything. Let me, let me explain it to you, okay? Janet wants more than anything to have her feelings validated. Because she's a mess. Because she's in over her head all the time. And because she feels a burden of guilt that can never be like lifted off of her. That's what it, and, and she doesn't know what to do about it. So she's constantly pushing that guilt onto other people. She thinks she can guilt people into doing things, into making her feel a certain way, into being something that she wants them to be. And Ted, Ted thinks that what he is doing is a service by never ever saying that his life is hard. Right? Because she's, her life is so hard. Her son went, was on death row for 19 years, right? I mean, I mean, her husband died after that. This guy came in and he was kind of like the savior and he has to maintain that all the time. He can never be emotionally vulnerable. He can never show that he's weak. He can never show that he also suffers, that he also has problems, that he's also in over his head sometimes. And he thinks by never saying that, by never showing that, by always being strong, by always being in control, by always knowing what to do, by always being able to talk her off the ledge, he's doing the right thing. See, they're, they're missing each other. She wants to know that he's human, that he's flawed, that he's messed up too. Because then she'll feel like, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one who's messed up in this relationship. I'm not the only one who's messed up in the world. I'm going to say something to the men and to the women. Men, this is not, obviously, this is applicable to all of us. I'm generalizing a little bit. But uh, men, your silent suffering will only lead to more guilt for your partner and more resentment for you. Like if you think I have to be the strong one always, you know, I have to carry the burden. I've thought that. And sometimes I think we fool ourselves into thinking we are more capable than we are because we think, oh, I, you know what I'm actually doing? I'm doing everything. I'm doing all the things. I'm not complaining. And like by the letter of the law, probably, yeah, you're fulfilling that role. But do you think that your resentment doesn't leak out the way that you talk, the way that you say things? I mean, this, is, this is applicable across all relationships, right? If you think you're the strong friend, if you think you're the one who carries everything, you're the strong son or daughter, you're the one who cannot break You must maintain that. That's not a service. You are creating more guilt in the person that you're being strong for and more resentment in your own heart for always having to carry that burden when no one told you you had to. Ladies. Again, this is not applicable across the board, right? But I'm I'm generalizing a little bit. You cannot guilt your husband or partner, into caring for you better. It will only lead to more guilt for him and more resentment for you. 
Janet in this whole show, this, this character, she only knows guilt is the only way that she knows to talk about anything. She makes people feel guilty for her pain. Right? Like she's suffering and she's going through things, and legitimately, obviously. But she doesn't know how to share it in a way that makes her weak. She only knows it how to share it in a way that blames other people. Like other circumstances, what people have done, what happened to her. And that doesn't serve anyone. Let me, um, let me give you some application. Here's the first thing. Okay. Accept that you're weak. You are. You're weak. I'm weak. Everyone's weak. You know, I, I, go, to the, I go to the physical therapist, right? And the physical therapist, she says, okay, lay down on the table, right? I lay down. And she's like checking my back. She's checking my back, right? And then she's like, oh, you know, loosey-goosey, right? It's like, oh, what does that mean? It means like, you know, my core is weak, right? So that, that's why my, my, you know, my spine is like misaligned. And she's like, oh, yeah, you have to do, like, these, these core exercises, right? Now, now that's, that's, like, it's, like, insulting, right? It's like, okay, fine, you know? It's like, gosh, you have to say it like that? You know, like, there's something in you that's like, I don't, I don't want you to, like, say that, right? But let me ask you, okay? Let me ask you for a second. What good does it do me to cheat on that test? She's diagnosing me. What good does it do me if, if I cheat in that moment? Even if I could, let's say I could flex crazy or just for that moment and trick her and be like, oh, yeah, my core is real strong. What does that do? That doesn't help me. How does that help me? It might trick her. Yeah, f- I could get five seconds of like, oh, wow, you have a really good core. <laughs> like, oh, you know, what is that worth? That's worth nothing. You know, I was having, I was having lunch, you know, with a friend, like a physical therapist. And he's telling me like, oh yeah, you know, the patients, like they don't, they don't do their exercises, you know, and he's like telling me this frustrating stuff, you know, and it's like, oh yeah. It's like, oh, why don't they do it? Like, I don't understand. You know, cause, and I was, I, I'm a, I'm a good physical therapy patient, okay? Cause I know like I got, my body has problems. I've learned through failure that you have to, you have to go to the doctor, you have to do what they say. Right, because I, I like play. I used to play basketball with my torn ACL all the time. Right, stupid. Right now, my knee's all messed up. You know, I do all these dumb things that so I hurt my back. Right, and so you know, I've learned. And he's telling me he's like, oh yeah, you know, like these people don't understand. They don't understand what they need. Do you ever think that? Do you work with any other people? Do you ever have you ever done like you work at the bank, you work at a school, you work at a you know you're in the medical field. And you tell people stuff, right? You're like, hey, do this. They don't do it. Why don't they do it? They don't, they don't think they need it. Like, do your homework. They don't do it. And do you know what I told him? I said, that's exactly how I feel. Because I tell people all the time. Like, do you know what's going on here? You need God. You need the gospel. Read the word. Here's your homework. Read the Bible every day. And then they don't do it. Right? Do, you, do, you, do you see that? Like that frustration that you have with those people? Like, oh, this guy is mismanaging his money. What is he doing? You cannot have a relationship with God if you think that a relationship with God is a luxury. 
It's extra. It's something that might make your life a little bit better. No. You need God. You're weak. Now, you might think, man, it's harsh today. Like, why are you going to be all like you're weak and stuff? Let me tell you something, okay? Me telling you you're weak or God telling us we're weak is so good because you can stop obsessing about trying to look strong. You can stop trying to be the strong one. Like, all the time, you have to carry all the burden. You have to be, you know, you can never say, this is just too hard for me. Like, I need help. I need accountability. Right? Do you think, do you think I need knowledge about working out? Or do you think I need a workout partner? Do you think I need someone to like explain to me how to use machines? Or do you think I need someone who's gonna be like, I'll go with you? Just admit it. That's what you need. You need accountability. You don't need more education. But, Don't do this. Don't be like, well, I'm messed up because I don't have accountability. Don't do that. That's that's not confession of need. That's complaining. Complaining is when you blame other people for your problems. Confession of need is when you say, I'm weak. I need help. Will you help me? So one, accept that you're weak. Two, trust that you are better when you're weak than when you're strong. Your admission of weakness, your confession, to just say, you know what, there's tons of stuff in my life that I just can't handle. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I don't know what to do. I need help. Confessing that is not to the detriment of others. It's to the benefit of others. I'll tell you two ways how. Okay, one Unless you actually believe that you're weak, you will never be able to empathize with people when they're weak. If you think you're strong, if you think you're the strong one and you're the one who like handles all the problems and you're the one who's doing all the work, do you know what you'll think when the other person's not? You'll be like, dude, what's wrong with you? I can do it. I can step up. I can go on three hours of sleep. I can work two jobs. I can take care of the kids and do my work and take care of my parents and do this and that and be doing this like all throughout the week. I got it on lockdown, okay? Like I can, I can do this because I'm strong. What's wrong with you? Why can't you do it? And someone will come to you and say, I'm just not strong. And you'll be like, well, you just need to try harder. Unless you believe that you're weak, you won't be able to empathize with people when they're weak, period. And, you know, I mean, I'm guilty of it. I do it. Fall into those thought patterns. When I was in college, I was, like, guilty of it all the time. I was some stupid, idealistic college kid being like, dude, what's wrong with all these Christians? They all got all these problems. (sighs) Why can't they just get it together like me? You know? What an idiot. I want to go back in time and tell myself how stupid I am. (laughs) Idiot. And then just come back. Come back to the future. Here's the second thing. Why? You must believe that you are better in weakness than you are in strength. Your story, your narrative, your whatever. You know, we use all tons of words. Your script, your story, your narrative, your testimony, whatever you want to call it. Okay, the word don't matter. The meaning matters. 
without weakness, absent weakness, without struggles, without pain, without sin, without failures, without your mistakes, being a part of it, that's not a helpful story. One that's only about your victories, one that's only about what you learned, not what you failed to learn. One that's only about who you are now, not who you used to be. The good parts of who you are now, not the bad parts of who you are now. That story, that's not helpful to anyone. That's, it, it could be compelling for a little bit. It might make people interested in you. It might make you popular for a while. But eventually, it's like a cult. It wears off. Seems too good to be true? Probably is. Right? Or the prosperity gospel. Right? Oh, you can just faith cancer away. Just do it. Just believe it. Oh, people love it for a while. But do you know why it falls apart? Because it's, it's not real. That's not real life. None of us gets to a point where we can just like believe stuff and it just happens. Or we know all the right answers to every question. None of us in here knows the right answers to every question. Some of us have wrong answers. We, and we have a ton of I don't knows. That's real. Your story, your real story, includes your weaknesses, your failures, your heartbreaks, your sin. How you thought one thing, and you were completely wrong about it. How you used to have this rule, you know, when you were in like high school or college or post-college, and you thought that this had to happen this way. You know, these interactions have to go this way. This theology is always going to be this way, and you're wrong. The Bible tells us it's when we admit that we're weak. Ironically, it's when we admit that we're weak. It's when we step into that, when we lean into it. That's when you actually become strong in Christ. That's when God's power is actually manifested in you, when you stop relying on yourself and you say, God, I can't do literally anything without you. And that's when God just takes over and starts doing things in you. And you know that. If you're a believer, you know that. Those are the times. It's not the times when you thought you had everything figured out, that you grew the most. It's when you were confused. It's when you were lost. It's when you had no answers. It's when you were desperate. It's when you were like, God, what do I do? And that's when God comes. That's when God's there. And I'm not saying we have to always be in crisis. Certainly not. But we must always humbly depend on God, knowing that he is the one who provides the answers and the power, not us. This is the beautiful countercultural way to look at weakness in light of the gospel. Our weaknesses speak to the greatness of God. Not only because God is strong. Not only because, it's not only because when we're weak, God's strong but because God in his strength became weak for us. He became vulnerable. He was betrayed. He was hurt physically and emotionally and disdained by the world and looked down upon so that we could know when we find ourselves in those same places, Jesus knows what it's like to be there. And he's with us and he died And he rose again so that we could find strength no matter what our weakness. That's the power of the gospel. Let's pray together.
God, we, you know, we, we hate to do it, God. We hate to say it, God. We hate to admit it, God, because we do want to be the strong ones, God. We want to be perceived as ones who have it all together. We want to be perceived as the ones who don't struggle, who don't sin, who don't worry, who don't doubt, who never feel like we're in over our heads. But God, the truth is we're weak. We struggle. We doubt. We have fear. We make mistakes. We're wrong. We thank you so much, God, that it is in that weakness, you know, the reality of that weakness, that that we don't have to hide that, that we don't have to try to act like that's not true, that we don't have to live under the burden of having to meet everyone's expectations, spoken or not, that it's okay. Because when we're weak, you're strong, God. Your strength is more than enough, God, to conquer all of our weakness, even to use us, God, to do things beyond what we could ever imagine if we are just able to confess we need you. And God, that's what we confess now. We need you. We need you today. We need you every day. And we thank you so much, God, that however much or little we come to you in need you are always there to answer us to hear us and to be there for us we thank you god so much for that we love you in jesus name we pray